Welcome. Welcome one and all this evening to the study. I'm Kelvin Chambliss uh, standing in uh, with uh, Mark who is on and uh, uh, not available right now, but we're gonna get uh, underway with our um, meeting tonight. It's good to have each of you and good to have you back uh, with us on another week. Uh, we're going to begin uh, this evening with a, a, um, a thought on the issue of developing a Jesus mentality. I hope everyone can see my screen and you can, you can hear me. I don't know. Can you, can you see my screen, everyone? I don't know. Okay. Okay, very good. Thank you, Claudia. Good to have you back, Claudia. Boy, I tell you, you've gone through some things. Praise God for the victory. Wonderful. All right. Okay, very well. Let's look at this issue of developing a, a Jesus mindset or developing a Jesus mentality. This was something that came to me very uh, uh, recently, very recently. And uh, so looking inside of this, I want us to look inside of this. Let's see here, okay. Let's look at, I wanna get rid of this. Okay, yes. One second here, I've got my <laughs> things running away here. All right, okay. Wow, okay. All right, everyone, we'll start back from the beginning. I do apologize for, for that. Um, developing a Jesus mentality. The purpose of this presentation is to peer into the patterns and disciplines of Jesus's lifestyle as a human, to see how we can, we can pattern ourselves after him and become more serviceable for the father. That's one of the purposes of this presentation is to peer into the patterns and disciplines of Jesus, his lifestyle as a human, to see how we can pattern ourselves after him and become more serviceable for the Father. The next, the, the additional purpose is that our lives would be transformed as a result of seeing Jesus through the lens of the word and hearing his voice in this teaching, that our lives would be transformed as a result of seeing Jesus through the lens of the word and hearing his voice. Okay. That seeing Jesus would revolutionize our thinking to abandon our ways for his ways. This is, this is our aim inside of this teaching, that others would experience Christ in and through us and seek to do the same. That others would experience Christ in and through us and seek to do the same. That they would also want to peer into the patterns and the disciplines of Jesus' lifestyle and to, and to follow after him and be more serviceable for the Father. So that would continue as a result of our engagement through this lesson with developing a Jesus mentality. 
All right. Before beginning to develop a Jesus mentality, one must ensure nothing exists in the present foundation or in the present mentality that would prevent Christ from having that place, that foundational place. Being reminded of Paul's advice, New King James Version, 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He's the foundation of our mentality, our thinking system. He is the foundation of all we do. Christ is the center of attraction. It's in him we live and move and have our being. Let's look at this. So Jesus is the only foundation one builds on. That's it. He's the only foundation one builds on. And there are other things we're going to see here in a moment that other people would choose to build on, but Christ is the foundation. In order for us to have a successful walk with God, to be able to please the Father, Christ must be the foundation that we build on. He becomes the sole stabilizing substratum for all future endeavors, which means what? Christ, everything begins with him. All of our efforts, all of our endeavors, begins with him. Everything, it begins with Christ. He is the substratum. He's the foundation. He's the very thing that supports what we stand on. He's the soul stabilizing substratum for all future endeavors. Everything begins with Christ and, and God being glorified. Okay. Let's look at things that can become foundations in the mind instead of Jesus. A religious mindset. This is the culprit behind the strangulation of potential moves of God and the impediment to most spiritual development as it gives the impression of spirituality but doesn't bear righteous fruit. This is a hindrance for for us developing a Jesus mentality, just one of them, a religious mindset. And I was saying before, uh, I was recalling what happened in my life growing up in the church and how this religious mindset really hindered me from really seeing Christ because it was about the practices. It wasn't about the real uh, following through with God that I would, uh, I, you know, I would be a church. I would, I would play instruments. I was a choir director. I, you know, I would sing. I would do all of these things, fulfilling a religious role. But my commitment, my devotion to God, what was the issue there? Okay, it it waned. It was not, it was not consistent until I received the Holy Spirit. When I received the Holy Spirit, it was like a government came into my being, a spiritual government came into my being and began to legislate my life. 
It began to bring order and law and principle and values and ethics to my life when the Holy Spirit came, right? So it, it, it was a different expression than the religious mindset. The religious mindset had more to do with doing than becoming. I had to become like Jesus. And so doing the religious things, I could be applauded for the things I would do and internally have a heart that was resistant. As I may have said before, that I could comply externally, but complain internally. And so there was a time that the Lord had to show me the discrepancy with that, that my attitude much, must match my service like Jesus did. And again, you all, these are things that, um, that we have to, to grow into and come into because, you know, when we hear these things, the tendency is to feel like, wow, this is so strict and this is, this is a very high call and I can't do this and I can't do that. And I was, I was telling someone um, the other day about that because when we hear these things, they sound so lofty and unattainable but they are attainable because the grace of God. God gives us his grace, which is divine ability that enables us to do what he requires. So grace is God's divine ability enabling us to do what he requires us to do. It's his ability. Grace is his ability. It's unmerited favor, but it is also a divine ability that comes upon us to fulfill what God requires. So um, the culprit behind the strangulation of potential moves of God is a religious mindset. And the impediment to most spiritual development is a religious mindset as it gives the impression of spirituality, but doesn't bear righteous fruit. That's the problem there. It's, it's Pharisaic in nature. And that's what I have on this, this next slide here. A religious mindset can also participate in fasting and prayer and Bible reading. So all these things need to be sanitized in their motivation. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5 and 20, except your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees because they fast, they pray, they read. Jesus, uh, God wanted to know on one occasion, is this the fast that I've chosen? And he said to the religious people who kept praying and crying, the Lord said, you have wearied me with your tears. So this is form without true function. This is, this is, this is um, expression without heart connectivity. That's what constitutes religion. When we do it, but we don't become it. When we say it, but we're not of it. So, so this is something that, that the Lord um, is, is bringing uh, to my heart. Now, I wanted to share this with you about the Jesus mentality, the mentality of Christ, the mentality that Christ had while living here. And how it was, as we get further into this, we'll see how much Jesus his mindset was to please the Father in all he did. 
to please the Father in everything that he did. All right, so this, this religious mindset is one impediment that keeps us from, or anyone from, from moving forward in the things of God. Being self-willed, self-willed. I can, oh my goodness, I'm telling you, this, this thing here is a real, it's a real culprit because when you live by your own will for so long, it can feel like it's right. My will can feel like it's right. And, and it's, like, it's really like a principality. <laughs> My will becomes a principality. You know, it's stronger than even the word of God in my life. So Jesus went had to guard himself against this. In the garden, when he was praying, where he cried out in, uh, in King James Version, Luke 22, 42, saying, Father, if, if, you, if I'll be willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. I'm seeing the pain that is ahead. I'm seeing the trauma that is ahead. I'm seeing all of these things that are ahead of me. Father, if there be another way, let this cup pass. So there's a long way between remove this cup from me and nevertheless, there was prayer that went through there. There was, there was warring that went through there. There was, there was relinquishing of Jesus's will in there. And he prayed, okay, let me see here. He prayed until sweat came down like drops of blood. Um, let's see, I'm gonna get screen sharing here. Uh, let's see, okay, okay. Thought I had it here. Let's see, sharing, right? All right, very good. I believe, are we, are we good now? Can you all see my screen? Can you see my screen? Okay. No screen sharing, okay. Are you able to see my screen now? It says and I'm on very well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Unika. All right. Okay. Let's see. Just want to make sure that I'm back to my spot here. Okay. Okay. Okay, I kind of threw something off off kilter. All right. So there are two things here. Um I'm sorry, I don't know what happened here with my uh, what what happened here. Let's see if I can pull this up. Bear with me here for a second. There we go, and bring this back up. I'm re I'm really amazed at myself. I'm not really this this gifted on these things. I'm really not. I'm really surprised I was just able to do that right there. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Okay, very good. Okay, being self-willed. Jesus had to guard against himself in the garden. We just read that to you. Now let's look at two things here. Self-will. You got this issue of being overt. Overt sense of self-will. It's brazen, outright unbelief and rebellious. These are people, and you can see them. They point their finger at God and they say, I'm not doing it. 
I'm not doing it. I'm not doing what you say. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really afraid of that position. I, I mean, I mean, I've got problems, you all. But I, you know, point my finger up at God like that is not, not one of those things that I'm willing to do. Um, I don't know if I shared with y'all one time. I had a, a friend of mine. Um, I have a friend of mine who um, was just gave his life to the Lord. He was sleeping in his car. He didn't understand. He thought when he came to the Lord, there would be, um, you know, peace and joy and happiness and all these things, you know. Um, you know, and so this is what he did. Now, watch, watch how religion is. At, at the church where we were, my, my dad's church, where uh, I kind of grew up and, you know, that's where all of, all of it started. It was here in Chicago where I happen to be right now. Hold on one second. So, okay, I'm in, uh, I'm at the hotel now. Boy, I'm telling you, life is so hard without Brenda. <laughs> okay, Brenda's going to, to get me uh, some items that I, I needed that I wasn't able to travel with. I came here with sandals, you all, and sandals are not going to cut it. They may cut it in California, Los Angeles, but it's not going to cut it here in Chicago. So, uh, so I'm, I have to do a lot of things by myself. So I really apologize for that. So um, it's, it's this overt sense of self-will, brazen and outright. So this guy, this is what happened. We had a prayer room upstairs uh, at the church. And there was no windows there, nothing. Padded pews for you to put your elbows on and just, you know, Neil, it was carpeted and everything like that. and had lights and stuff and it had a mural there of Jesus in the garden. This young man, listen to this, this young man, he was very new in the Lord. He was from the street. He did not understand the fear of the Lord. So listen what he did. He, before, he goes to the prayer tower. They call it the prayer tower. Took his shoes off before going in. There's a little vial of oil. Put the mark of the cross on his forehead with the oil. How religious is that? Goes into the prayer room. All the lights are out and starts cursing God out. Did you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about cussing. And he's like, what are you doing with my life? So and so and so and so. And you, you know, and, and I mean, he's going there. Like he's like, like God is some guy on the street. And he said, it wasn't too long where the wrath of God came in and he could feel it pulsating around his ears, around his neck, and he was begging for his life, and he kept crying out to God, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. There was this, there was this, this, this wall that had to be separated. He, he had to learn, you can't treat God like a dude, like a man. You can't treat God like, there, there's a respect that is required there is a way we approach God. You know, I've been upset and I have been, I uh, had a bad attitude. And, and what I found out about God, he will not hear me with a bad attitude. I have to get the attitude right because you could only approach him in a certain way. And this young man found out, he, he's not living today, but that's not, what killed him 
that's not what that's not why that passed away but he was sharing that experience with me and i'm telling you it's just like wow because he just didn't understand you just god is not a guy he's not your buddy he's not he's not like that right you know so you can't talk to him like that there's a way that you approach you got to have humility and you have to approach him with respect but that was really really something you know god could have we could have found him lying there dead but god was so merciful right so there's this brazen outright unbelief position that is overt self-will god i'm not going to do it i'm 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 you know, you're in rebellion here's the one we got to watch out for right here okay here's the one we have to watch out for right here i'm trying to see if i uh, okay this is kind of delayed here so Okay, see if I can pull it up this way. Right now, right now my screen is frozen. So, so there's this overt sense of self-will. Then there is what I call the covert sense of self-will. Maybe my computer will eventually catch up, but this has to do with non-responsiveness to God. So we don't tell him no, we're just non-responsive, right? You don't, you don't. And then when he tells you to do something, there's delay in our obedience. That's the covert sense of self-will. We just shut down. We don't, we don't tell God no, but we just don't obey, obey him quickly. And we, we just shut down, right? Those are things that um, we have to be on guard for in developing a Jesus mentality. That there, we have to guard against self-will and guard against um, the self-will that is overt and that is indeed covert. Okay. I don't think that I can. Okay, here we go. Whoa, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. Okay. Let me see where I was. Okay, this one, yeah, this, this is the one I was at right here. All right, okay. Yeah, this is what I wanted to, wanted to show you. There was the, uh, yeah, that way we can kind of see it. Yep, so the overt sense self was brazen, outright unbelief and rebellion. Uh, this one is covert. The covert sin, self-will is non-responsive, delayed and obedient. And here's another thing, offers excuses instead of unbridled surrender. Well, I tell you, you know, you know, I made this PowerPoint for my life. <laughs> I made this PowerPoint for my life, you all. I'm telling you, and these things just don't work. They don't work. You know, when we're dealing with God, we, we're dealing with someone who deserves all the reverence, all the glory, all the praise, all the worship, you know, um, I watched my brother, I'm, I'm not able to, to catch him on Sundays, uh, talking about uh, Mark. And, um, you know, I can, I can sense the Lord through him in his delivery. I thank God for him. He's such a, a model for me and, and could be for any, any other uh, uh, brothers or, or, or men of God and things like that. Um, I just noticed the, the way he approaches the word of God, the seriousness, the the reverence and the, uh, you could tell he loves the Lord. 
This, this is who I want to be around. I want to be around people who love the Lord because I love him and I want to stay on course and on pattern with that, on cue with that. You know, you have to surround yourself with those who have the same hunger uh, and, and even more that, that did you have so that can rub off. So I thank God for, for these, um, these examples that we have before us. It's beautiful. All right. Okay, let's look at this now. In order to eradicate the things that exist and have been allowed to grow in age in the mind, needs a God-ordained dismantling. Well, welcome, everyone. We're going to get started. Uh, I'm Kelvin Chambliss here uh, with uh, Mark Becco on another Thursday evening Bible study. So happy to be here with you. And uh, we're going to continue what we started uh, last week. And um, I wanted to just kind of go back over some points of this, uh, the PowerPoint, so that we can, you know, have some continuity in what we were what we were looking at. I want to uh, thank Mark again for this opportunity to, to come before you and, and to be able to share this word with you. Let's look uh, now at this. We're looking at developing a Jesus mentality. Very simple title. Uh, and there's some more that I've added to this that I, I want us to look at and, and to consider. I would like to have some um, some feedback and conversation surrounding it. Uh, developing a Jesus mentality, a mind shift to transformation. And these are all terms that we've heard before. But I really, really desire that God would help us in some way to make these things real, to really make these concepts, these words that uh, Mark was talking about several weeks ago. And I, I, I concur wholeheartedly that the words that we use to describe the season and the time that we're in and the magnitude of God's dealings with us, uh, the, the concepts, the principles uh, often get hijacked and manipulated and they get mangled and they get diluted. And those words get, uh, they, they come to a place to where they become so trite and overworn and they don't carry the same potency uh, with them that they, that they ordinarily would. And so we want our lives to really reflect this. Uh, developing a, a Jesus mentality, I think is really, really key in this season. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Two. All right. Probably have to. Come out of this. Seems like I'm on, on a little de delay with my screen. Can everybody hear me? I, I want to make sure I'm not touching the, the wrong thing here. We, can you all hear me? I can hear you, Calvin. Very well. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. All right. Just trying to get my screen to move you all. Let me see if I can get out of this and hopefully, let me, let me come out of the screen share. Let's see if that will help. Come out of the screen share. All right. 
All right, seems like okay. I'm getting getting a little uh, breakthrough here. Okay, very good. Okay, the purpose of this presentation is to peer into the patterns and disciplines of Jesus's lifestyle as a human, to see how we can pattern ourselves after Him and become more serviceable for the Father. To pattern our lives, uh, pattern ourselves after Him, to become more serviceable for the Father. That's it. I want to be more serviceable for the Father, not serviceable for myself, for personal gain or for personal ambition, but that the Father would be glorified. Point two, that our lives would be transformed as a result of seeing Jesus through the lens of the word and hearing his voice and that voice prompting and moving us to obedience. The next thing is that seeing Jesus would revolutionize our thinking to abandon our ways for his. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of, the, of this presentation. And that others would experience Christ in and through us and seek to do the same, that we would be living examples. Um, I, I've come to a place now, um, and, and I'm really kind of embarrassed. It took me so long to get there is that I'm so tired of talking. I wanna, I wanna live for God. I wanna, I want action. I want action. I want these principles and the words that I've heard and the beautiful teachings that I've heard and the concepts and the principles to really become real living through me. I want to demonstrate Jesus. I wanna demonstrate him. So to have his mentality and have his mindset is to have seen him. It's to have seen him, okay? All right, let's move forward now. Okay. Before beginning to develop a Jesus mentality, one must ensure nothing exists in the present foundation or in the present mindset or mentality that would prevent Christ from having that place. Okay, being reminded of Paul's advice in uh, New King James Version, 1 Corinthians 3 and 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. To have him laid at the very foundation of all of our actions, all of our, um, you know, ambition, our drive, the things that we want to do for him, that he is at the core of that. He's at the, at the substratum, the very substratum of that foundation. So Jesus is the only foundation one builds on. He is the only acceptable foundation of the Father. So again, he becomes the sole stabilizing substratum for all future endeavors. So everything I do must be be begin with Christ. Does it reflect his nature? Does it reflect his character? Does it reflect his, reflect his authority? Does it reflect his nature? his character and his authority in the earth. Because if it does, it's gonna please the Father. And if it pleases the Father, we will be fruitful. And if we're fruitful, he's glorified. All right, let's look at this. Let's look at the things that could become foundations in the mind instead of Jesus. We're just revisiting this. This is, this is um, review. A religious mindset, the, corporate, the culprit behind the strangulation of a potential move of God and the impediment 
to most spiritual development. That's, that's a religious mindset. And it gives the impression of spirituality. It has all the flowers, all of the trappings, all of the uh, lights and all of the action of spirituality, but it doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't bear fruit. So a religious mindset is the culprit behind the strangulation of potential moves of God and the impediment to most spiritual development as it gives the impression of spirituality. And that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees would tell others how to live, tell others what to do, and they themselves would never engage in a process that would bring them into personal transformation. And that's what makes a Pharisee. Now let's look at what a religious mindset can, can do. Let's look at what that may, may entail or what, what it may encompass. It is a symbol without substance. It's symbol without substance. A religious mindset um, uh, puts on the show. It can light candles in a church. It could walk down a middle aisle. It could, it could have the pageantry and have all of the trappings and all of the external look of a holy um, and, and a, a righteous processional, uh, all of these kind of things that, that have the appearance of spirituality and holiness and all of these things, and it, it's not true. It's not true, it's empty. It's empty platitudes. All right, trying to get to my next point here. Let's see if I can uh, move this forward. Okay. It doesn't seem to be moving, all right, well, Anyway, just dealing with this issue of um, this mindset of Jesus, I'm gonna, if I can ever get out of this, um, this mode here, I won't, I won't return to this particular mode and just do it from uh, an open concept there. Just kind of need a break in my, in my computer. See, it's frozen, frozen up on me. Okay, let's see. All right. Well, Father, we just thank you right now. We praise you for this opportunity, for this opportunity, Lord, to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a desire for a mind that exemplifies you the mindset, Lord, that glorifies you, a mindset that emulates and a mindset that characterizes what you represented in the earth. Lord, we want to see that in our lives. We want to demonstrate that in our very being, that you may be glorified in all we do and say in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for it now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. that's, that's all I'm hitting. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if Brenda can help me with this. Just come out of it. Not the whole thing. Let's escape. Yeah, like that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. We're gonna do it this way. We're gonna do it this way and just uh, kind of keep it open. All right. 
So before beginning to develop a Jesus mentality, one must ensure nothing exists in the present foundational mentality that would prevent Christ from having first place. I think we covered that one. Okay, let me just make sure. Um, yeah, all right, here we go. Let's look at things that can become foundations in the mind instead of Christ. We've covered the first one, a religious mindset, the culprit behind the strangulation of potential moves of God and the impediment to most spiritual development as it gives the impression of spirituality, but it doesn't bear righteous fruit. Here's the second one. A religious mindset can also participate in fasting and prayer and Bible reading so that all these things, uh, all these things must be sanitized in their motivation. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 5 and 20, accept your righteousness, exceed the Pharisees. What do Pharisees do? They fast, they pray, they read the scripture. So what makes our motivation different than their motivation? Our motivation causes us to want to fulfill the purposes of God and to emulate and to be like Christ. One of the things that the Lord said about the Pharisees, uh, he says, uh, these people, they weary me with their tears. They just cry, 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 but they don't change. They fast, but is this the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bands of wickedness, I think the book of Isaiah talks about, okay? Let's look at being self-willed. And this is something the Lord showed me that, boy, I'm telling you, just really opened my mind up to areas of my own heart that had been you know, exposed and he showed me. And I thank God for doing that. Anytime the Lord shows us ourselves, Sometimes it could be dawning. Sometimes it could be, uh, you know, unsettling. But the thing of it is, is, what I love about it is that it expresses his interest in me. He would not show me if he was not interested in me changing and becoming better and more serviceable for him. So being self-willed, I mean, it has a lot of, lot of looks. So we have to, this is one of the things I want to share. Being self-willed, Jesus had to guard himself against it. In the garden, he cried out in Luke 22, 42 in King James saying, Father, if it be willing, if, the, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now that B portion of that verse didn't happen as quickly as we read it. Okay. Father, if thou be willing, this is King James, remove this cup from me. Now, when we write it, there's a colon there because there's space, there's time, there's a period. He's waiting for God to respond to him, all right? And clearly, he does not get the answer about removing the cup. So he moves and he prays further and goes even further in his prayer and says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm so glad this scripture was in the Bible. So glad it was in the Bible. Because here was Jesus who came to earth knowing what his purpose was knowing what God uh, had for him to do, and yet got right to the door, to the precipice of the cross. And he went before his father, he said, Father, if there's another way this can be done, if it be willing, if it be your will, let this cup pass. Now there are two types of self-will that I see, could be more, but these are the two I'd like to identify. The first is overt. It's the obvious, it's the open, overt, the sense of 
a brazen, outright unbelief and rebellion. These are people who point their finger at God and tell them, I'm not doing it. I'm not saying it. All right. It's, it's open. It's brazen. It's rebellious uh, in, in, its, in its very expression. Then we have covert self-will. And that's the cover. And that's where we get our word cover. C-O-V-E-R. Cover. Covert. It's the cover. This covered self-will that responds with non-responsiveness. So God speaks. I don't respond. He calls me to do something. I'm delayed in my obedience. I'm not, I'm not responding quickly. I'm not responding with alacrity. I get to it when I'm ready. See, that's another side of rebellion that does not look like overt rebellion, but before God, it's the same thing. Or excuses that are offered instead of unbridled surrender. I'm called upon to forgive my brother. I'm called upon to forgive my sister. And my will gets set up and I say, no, I'm not doing it. God, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what they said to me. That thing really hurt me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to forgive them. See, that is covert, covert self-will. Neither of them are good, but it seems more reasonable when we can offer an excuse or offer a reason why we're not cooperating with God. And God sees it the same in both ways. And that's what he showed me. So in order to eradicate the things that exist and have been allowed to grow and age in the mind, uh, God needs to uh, dismantle it, okay? He needs to dismantle it, right? The next bullet point, God's way of dismantling is methodical. This has been my experience with him. He just doesn't knock everything down all at once. He slowly strips it away. However, it's all done with words. Jeremiah's case, especially when he was a prophet, this is what the Lord said to him. This is what he called, this is what the Lord uh, said to him. New King James, Jeremiah 1 and 10. See, I have this day set thee over the nations, Jeremiah, and over the kingdoms. This is what you're going to do with your words. Root out, pull down, to destroy to throw down, then to build, then to plant. All of these things are going to be done when you speak the words that I give you. That's the effect it's going to have on nations. That's the effect it's going to have on people. That's the effect it's going to have on circumstances. That's the um, effect it's going to have on policies. That's the first, that's the uh, effect it's going to have on economies. It's going to cause a change when you prophesy. And when you look at Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah didn't have that thrilling of a life, but he was a designated spokesperson for the Lord. And, and when God called him as a young prophet, notice what it says here, Jeremiah 1 and 10. See, I have this day set the over the nations, over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. And I didn't ask anyone's permission. I didn't ask anybody if they liked you or not. I didn't ask anybody if they approved of you or not. I have already approved you. And I think that's the confidence 
that you and I need to go into it when God has called us to do something or established us to do something, that you and I need to be a people who can um, go full steam ahead in obedience, knowing that God has us covered because he has sent us to speak that word. I was sharing with somebody earlier this morning in our small group that, um, um, you know, sometimes what this person was talking about, they're testifying about how they've gotten over being able to tell people and being able to get over confrontation and not just seeing confrontation as being negative, but seeing it as being positive and not being it, uh, seeing it as argumentative all the time. Sometimes it's just a matter of staying, stepping up and saying what needs to be said. That's confrontation. It doesn't have to be uh, combative. Sometimes it is, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, right? So um, that's the thing. God is trusting us. That's the point that I made to our sister. That's the point. God is trusting us to speak on his behalf. He's trusting us to do it. He's trusting us to do it. You know, so whatever we have to, to get over with our fear, fear of consequences, fear of losing friends, fear of a straining relationship with family members. One thing that the Lord shared with me about that is that there is, there is grace and protection inside of my obedience. So I'm not vulnerable when I do it. I'm vulnerable if I don't do it. So if I, if I obey what God says, there's protection, there's safety, and God has a way of causing all things to work together for good if I obey him first. All right. Now, again, we've taken the Jeremiah experience here, and we're talking using this regarding um, uprooting former mentalities, former ways of thinking, self-will, uh, personal ambition, pride, arrogance, deep-rooted unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, wrath, all these things, right? So when God speaks to Jeremiah and he tells him to root out, the scripture talks about having a root of bitterness, a root of bitterness. Bitterness is when offense has gone too far. Bitterness is when, 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 when offense has gone too far, where it has been allowed to age inside of the soul, it's been allowed to, to fester and to go, and, and how, you know, it, it goes, I'm telling you, I've seen this happen. I've seen it in me, I've seen it in others, how when things just are allowed to just go and grow, it takes a while, and you can't pray bitterness away. You've got to uproot it. You have to personally engage in digging in, and removing that thing from your heart, giving that person a pass and no longer charging them with what happened. Even though you remember, you don't lay it to their charge. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do, what they're doing. What did Stephen say when he was being stoned? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All right, now these are not human responses. These are godly principles. So there's no humans don't do this, but those who desire to please God, this is how we operate. Not because it hurts any less or it's any more easy to do, but we do these things because we wanna please God. That's why we do it, because we want to please him. 
even when it's hurting us, even when it's hurting us. All right. So rooting out bitterness, pulling down. What is that? Strongholds. Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians 10, pulling down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds. The things that cause strongholds are, um, you know, shame, fear, and control. That They, they form a stronghold. Shame shame, things that we are ashamed of and embarrassed of, things that cause us to hide and to run. Shame, fear, fear causing us to retreat. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but given us power, love, and of a sound mind. And control, where I'm controlling the situation. I'm going to stay away from them. I'm going to cut them out of my life, right? I know I'm just going to avoid them. That's control. And that those three things come together and form a threefold cord that's not easily broken, which is called a stronghold, stronghold, shame, fear, and control. And, and the word can bring that thing down. The word can cast that thing down. Destroying. What are we destroying? What did Jesus come to do? To destroy the works of the enemy. That's what these words would do. They will root out. They will pull down. They will destroy. Throwing down. The, what, what is the throwing down part? Demonic kingdoms and systems. We're able to do that with the word that is consistent with God, what God tells us to speak. Mixed with a life that is in alignment with him. That's another thing that the Lord showed me, that it is important that my life is in alignment with him. You know, our gifting can only take us so far but a life dedicated to him. He said in Romans 12, Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, verse one and two, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, right? Becoming the sacrifice, the living sacrifice, the living sacrifice. I could go on and on uh, more about that, but uh, I, I just want to move on because there's another point I want to get to, I want to close this out so we can talk and then get to another point. So these things, um, we don't usually change. We don't usually, bitterness isn't uprooted and strongholds aren't cast down and, and uh, the enemy's works aren't typically destroyed and thrown down of demonic uh, kingdoms and systems don't usually change at the speed of hearing, <laughs> hearing the spoken word, right? And that's why I love what Mark said, we got to slow down to the speed of God. Boy, I'm telling that thing continues to talk to me. We got to slow down to the speed of God. We have to be patient in, in his dealings with us, patient in his dealing with others. All of these things are teaching us temperance and teaching us balance and teaching us how to keep ourselves under subjection, under the authority of God. This is imperative. This is imperative. All right. This statement means to me that God must be allowed to process us to his satisfaction and his time. This is what Job says, Job 23 and 10. When he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as pure gold. 
All right. Now, when he has tested me, mean, meaning what? He is the silversmith. He's the go. He's the one that, that, that knows when the dross has come up and when I have entered now into more of a pure form. My yes, Lord, to him is the beginning that gets me there. But my full surrender is when I've crossed over and come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of myself. That's when the dross, the dross is raised up and the Lord is able to remove that impurity away from me that my motives are pure. My motives are pure. My desires are pure. I have no personal ambition but to please God. And that's a process. It takes a process, all right? So I love that about Job. He said, when he has tested me, Job 23 and 10, I will come forth as pure gold. All of these things are giving us uh, a movement to the mind of Christ. I'm just using these, these Old Testament examples of, 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 of Job, using the Old Testament examples of um of what Jeremiah said about uprooting. And what we're doing is uprooting. We want to uproot these things so that the foundation that is laid is only Christ, not my religious mindset, not my self-will, not my personal ambition, not the things that I want to do. I come into full, what I like to call unbridled surrender. Man, I'm telling you, that's the only place we'll find freedom. That's the only place we'll find freedom is full unbridled surrender. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. While a number of things might infiltrate thinking systems prohibiting the mind of Christ from taking root in the human mind, let's move to what is required to think like Jesus. That's what I want us to do. I want to move now to the things that is required for us to think like Jesus. Let's, I just want to pray this short prayer. Father, please allow me to see you in the way you want me to see you based on my present state of development in you. Please allow me to understand that the same operating system Jesus used is the same I must have to do his work. When I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, I have all I need in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's move forward. Now let's begin with Jesus was a small boy. While much is not known about the formative years growing up from birth to 30 years old, much of his words, attitudes, and manners can be implied through his attitude, how he carried himself in the earth. Let's look at Luke 2 and 40 when he was a young boy. And the child grew and became strong in, the, in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Herein lies the difference between growth and development. The child grew, growth, and became strong, development. Okay, there's a difference between growth and development. Okay, let's look at growth. Growth, the process of increasing in physical size. Development to cause to grow and become more mature, advanced or elaborate. Deliberate action for a specified result. Deliberate action for a specified result. This venture of developing a Jesus mentality is not arbitrary. 
It's born from a deep and relentless desire to please the Father, to please the Father. I mean, oh Lord, this is, this is where it is. This is where it is. I mean, what else could there be? You know, pleasing ourselves is, you know, it, it, it runs, it gets old. It gets old, it's, it, you know, runs its course. We frustrate ourselves. We get into anxiety, all, that, all of those kind of things. And there's a better way for us. There's a better life. So when we pursue the Father and his desire and his preferences, it gives us the joy and the joy of the Lord is our strength. And, and when we have strength, then we can resist the enemy. And when we resist him, then he'll flee. And when, we, when he flees, then we're free. You know, so it's a chain reaction. All right, so the will of the Father was Jesus's food. This is what he said, John 4, 34, New King James. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, he had opposition to it, but his mind was made up. I'm going to finish the work. I'm going to, I'm going to eat my food. What is the food? The will of him who sent me. That's what's driving me, the will of him who sent me. And King James Version, Philippians 2 or 3 says, let this mind be in you. Permit this mind, allow this mind to be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So receiving the mind of Christ has a lot to do with our sight. Receiving the mind of, of Christ has a lot to do with our will. Let this mind be in you. Now, this word mind here is rendered attitude. Attitude. I came across this in New Living Translation, and it said, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Wow. We must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And the same attitude of Christ emerges when the hindrances are removed, the things that are keeping us from that mindset. New American Standard, back in 1977, this is the this version here, John 12, 49, for I did, this is the words of Jesus, for I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus is telling people, I don't speak on my own initiative. I have an opinion, but I don't offer that to you. I've been commanded to say and to speak according to what my father has given me to say and speak. You all, that's discipline. That's discipline. Particularly when we are so tempted many times to give our own opinion and to give our own words of wisdom and things like that. And, and you all, they could be valid. They could be valid, but it may not be what the Father wants at that time. It may not be what the Father wants at that time. The Bible says this, that the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Man, I'm telling you, whoo, oh my goodness. I've had to learn these lessons and still learning, right? Yeah, so, you know, Jesus, well, let's, let's, let's look at the point two. Those who develop the Jesus mentality live under voluntary command. Those who develop the Jesus mentality live under voluntary command. 
all right? I'm receiving his word voluntarily. I don't hear suggestions from the Lord. I hear commands. I don't hear, I don't hear suggestions. I hear commands. And that command isn't uh, a demanding command. It is, a, it is a command that is for my good. It is a command that protects me. It's a command that is insightful. You know, God is, has the ability to give us one word that is so comprehensive that it, you, you get so much out of that one sentence or that one word. That's how comprehensive he is, you know? All right, so that's, that's, that's the thing. Remember the woman at the well, John chapter four? She said, come see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. Jesus, didn't, Jesus did not tell her everything she'd ever done. He just asked her, where's your husband? <laughs> where's your husband? But it felt like he had seen, he seen everything about this woman, <laughs> but it set her free, right? She came to the well with shame. Remember I was talking about shame earlier? With that stronghold, shame, fear, and control, forming a trilogy of a stronghold. She came to the well, uh, to the well ashamed, but she left her water pot and went to the men and said, come see a real man <laughs> who told me everything I have done. Man, I'm telling you. Oh, man, it set her free, right? Now, let's look at this. Jesus was not self-conscious. Man, this helped me so much. Jesus was not self-conscious. What do I mean by that? It didn't matter. It mattered not how he looked in front of people. He sought to impart agape, not to impress. Jesus didn't care about what y'all thought about his robe, you know, how he combed his hair, how he looked, what kind of sandals he wore. See, all of those things, those things are all external. And many times we miss God getting tripped up by packages. What does it look like on the outside? Do I like the way they look? Do I like the way they dress? Do I like this? Do I like this? What are they saying? What are they bringing? Are they delivering truth? Are they delivering the word? Am I hearing God behind the presentation? Sometimes you just need to close your eyes and hear and listen for truth. <laughs> just close your eyes and just listen for truth. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, all right. Now, let's see. We're going to go here. All right. Okay. Now, I want to pause here. I want to pause here. And I want to... Um, I want to find out you all let's let's just let's discuss this here and just see um what our, what, what our thoughts can be regarding regarding what we've talked about here so far about the mind of christ developing a mentality of jesus anyone want to start us off no there's a lot to cover and i Covered a big swath of uh, of information, but um, at the core of it, uh, removing those things that are resident, so that God through Jesus can have a clear space to be able to lay His foundation upon us. Anyone? Okay. Um, hey, Kevin. You 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 uh, read this scripture uh, 
it's in the book of Jeremiah, where, where God said that, you know, he's called Jeremiah to, uh, to build, to plant, to root out and to destroy. No. Yeah, you know, a lot of times I've read that, but, you know, you just kind of uh, gloss over it. You know, you don't really pay attention, but um, the explanation you gave that, you know, Jeremiah was supposed to do that with his words, with the prophecies, you know, um, and I think that really made a big impression on me that, um, you know, that, that, that command or that, um, let me say that mission that God gave him, you know, that, of course, we, we know that he was not going to do that, you know, by uh, going into confrontation, physical confrontation with the with, with the authorities and with the systems and all that, but rather with his proclamations, his declarations, you know, of judgment against the power of darkness, against the uh, rulers of darkness. And that's really made a big impression on me. Yeah, so thank you, thank you for that. You know, that tells me that, you know, uh, uh, because we are also in the kingdom, that is also our mission to build so as we proclaim and declare the word of god you know or we 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 uh we have the prophecies and all that it is to build and to plant to destroy to uproot and yeah thank you for that thank you thank you mm -hmm. great contribution theo thank you um a lot, you're right. A lot of times we don't slow down and really see what is the essence of this thing. And I, I just, um, I have another, another portion of this that the Lord really struck me on. And I want to bring this, and I hope it complements what we started off with, the another side of the mind of Christ. Um, if you all notice, uh, Christ is referred to as the lion and the lamb. Those two dimensions dwelt in one man, the lion and the lamb. And wisdom caused Jesus to express one and the other at the appropriate times. He wasn't all lion and he wasn't all lamb. Right? There was a there was a there was a conquering dominion side of him, and then there was a meek and a humble side of him. And those two both equally existed inside of the man Jesus the lion and the lamb. Beautiful. Anyone else? Thank you, Theo. Anyone else? The mind of Christ, a Jesus mentality, taking on the mind of Christ. Remember the scripture we yeah. read? Let them, go okay, ahead. And then, okay, okay, and then, and, then, and then I forgot to add this. Yes. Know, like uh, pondering over that scripture, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, uh, two sides of a coin. All right. Yeah. So he's saying that you're not really going to be building and planning at this, you know, just that. But on the other hand, uh, you are, you know, that reminds me of, uh, uh, what was it? Um, you know, the, the, 
um, the servant of God, you know, who led the people uh, to build the wall. Uh, Nehemiah. 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 Yeah. That as they were building, they were also holding a sword, a sword in the other hand. All right. So, um, you know, we want to live that uh, quiet and, you know, gentle life. You know, you don't want to, um, you know, you just want to live in your own space. And, you know, uh, we also told that, oh, you already have the victory, so you don't need to fight. You know, uh, uh, there's nothing like warfare. So, you know, this, this really, uh, like, uh, like Paul tells us that the weapons of our warfare, you know, he says that but we fight not against flesh and blood. So it really ties up, it really ties up everything. And yeah, so the point I want to try to make is, you know, it's like two sides of the coin. We are building and planning at the same time, but we are also tearing down and destroying, you know, the works of the enemy and we need both, both to move forward. I love that. I love that, Theo. The, 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 the um, instance of being ambidextrous, you, you know, a tool in one hand, a weapon in the other, and that's where we are now. We have to be able to build and fight at the same time. It used to be where we um, just focused on one thing. Now we have to actually literally watch and pray. Got to watch and pray. We've got to be deliberate in these two actions, and um, and we must be at equal strength with both of them. We have to be able to watch. We have to be pr be prayerful, where one does not sacrifice or compromise the other. The building and the planting both are working together. We see this with um, we see this with Paul in his life as an apostle. Sometimes he was planting. He said, "I planted Apollos water. God gives the increase. That's the agricultural part." Then he says, I'm a wise master builder. That's the architectural part, building and planting. So we see that in the life of Paul as well. So um, yeah, it's these two working together, working together that the words that Paul spoke, they built an infrastructure in the people, in the churches and in, in the leaders in Titus and Timothy, built infrastructure inside of them. So the words are very powerful. And it also put, uh, it planted seed inside of them. So. Um, what rock is to a foundation in architecture, seed is to roots in, um, in, in uh, uh, agriculture. And both of these, Paul did both of them. He was a wise master builder, but he also planted. And so uh, we're equipped with both. So we see that in the Old and New Testament, in Jeremiah's movement, and we see it in Paul's movement as well. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Theo. Glad you added that. Glad you added that. Anyone else? It's good. This is very good. I love the fact that we have the mind of Christ. You know, I mean, I, I, I could not, even though I was preparing this, this presentation, what Theo brought into it enhances, you know, I, I didn't think those thoughts, those things were not, those things didn't occur to me like that. So as we talk, we get more, facets of God's mind, more facets of um, the light shines upon different facets of, uh, of the text. So it's beautiful. Anyone else? Yeah, hey, Kevin. Yes, Mark, Mark good Mark, to hear you. 
Yes. Um, first of all, this whole teaching, as I think about it, it reminds me of a book. I think that, that it should be somewhere in my in my library. It reminds me of a book, WWJD. What will Jesus do? That's the title of the book. What will Jesus do? I believe that God is speaking clearly to us and wanting to infuse in us that mindset. Number two, I believe that Christ being that ultimate stature, the Bible tells us that that will all grow and fill up into that stature is the more reason why he is pointing us to what the mindset or the mentality. Um, I like the way you describe it. You refer to it as attitude, mind. Um, it's, it's that heart position and the way Christ will carry himself. I think it's worth um, re-examining every face or the revelation of Christ in scripture to begin to glean um, the principles, the laws, the, the very thing that made Christ carry himself the way he did. And so that we can effectively incorporate into our lives. One thing that stood out very clear um, in, your, in your pronouncement is the fact that there are people that live, there are people that live under, under choice. They, they live at a place of a mental ascent. They just head it and they just give a mental ascent to it. But there are people who are only functional because they live at the point of command. That's that, that issue of command that um, 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 like the children of Israel, they cannot be. Um, the children of Israel actually said, they said, Lord, if you speak with us, then we die. But we need to be a people who said, if we do not command us, we will rather die rather than if you speak to us, we will die. So this is um, a piece. This is a real, real high voltage stuff that I believe God is stirring our hearts. It is time for us to really go back and begin to look into the face of Christ and glean the life principles and live by them. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. I, I really, what I'd like to do, your statement is a great segue for the next part that I want to, to talk about. It's a great segue, so I, I want to get right to it. I really want to get right to it. Okay, if you look at the, if you could see my screen here, to think like Jesus is to be militant. Listen, I know we don't, a lot of times we don't see a militant mindset coupled with Jesus, but look at what, what we see here. This is in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written. Now, now his action begins, first of all, with the word of God. That's his reference point. So we, we have to see this, that Jesus is not only 
the uh, expression of the word of God. He's the living word of God. And that is his frame of reference. Where does this activity that I'm about to speak to, where does it come based on my father's plumb line? How is it measured? Is this activity what he approves of or is it what he doesn't approve of? And that's the basis that Jesus operates on, not his personal preference, but what pleases the father. Jesus, God looked down upon this and it did not please the father and it did not please the son. And this is what he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This was a radical move by Jesus. This was militant. This was militant. Okay, now the scripture goes on to say, Matthew 21, verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them, verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children bring out of the temple uh, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? And here's Jesus again, with the, front, with the reference of the word, Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. So the exchange of Jesus with the chief priests and the scribes has him pointing them back to the word of God. Have you not read? Radical, militant. Okay, let's look at this. I'm going to move on quickly with him because I want to have some discussion about this too. This is a different side here now, Jesus. To be militant is to be combative and aggressive in support of a political or social cause and typically favoring extreme, violent, or confrontational methods. Militant. This is the position that may differ or conflict with our own with our own human personality. However, it is indeed the mentality of Jesus. That's what I was saying about the lion and the lamb, both living inside of Jesus. Now there's a time to be militant and I can point to you examples, okay? Let's look at the three Hebrew boys. They say, they say, listen, bow down to the music. They say no, why? Because they were in support of a cause, the cause of the Lord, the Lord God, right? We can't bow to you. We, we refuse to bow. And you can turn up the fire as hot as you want to. That's militant. That's militant. How militant is this when they sign a decree saying that anybody who prays to any other God rather than the king and Daniel goes home, opens up his window and starts praying like he always has. That's militant. We don't often see it like that, but that's militant. It's a direct affront to what was told them to do. All right. So let's note, while Jesus was expelling the money changers and those that sold doves, his cause represented his father's will, not his own. His father's will, not his own. Okay, when any cause of the Father becomes our paramount objective, 
it qualifies as a righteous cause. When any cause of the Father becomes a, a paramount, our paramount objective, it qualifies as a righteous cause. This is why when David is told by his father, now, now remember, see, a lot of times people, <laughs> a lot of times people overlook this. When Jesse sent David to bring lunch to his brothers on the battlefield, they're fighting uh, the Philistines, the Philistines, they're fighting the Philistines. And Jesse sends David to give them lunch, okay? And so one of the older brothers says, you know, David, what are you doing here? How, who's watching the sheep, you know? And, and then, so he, he says, well, what's going on? What's happening with the battle and everything? Oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And then David said, hey, is there not a cause? Militant, is there not a cause? I'm asking you this because I see Goliath on the mountain and I see Israel in the valley. Is there not a cause? What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? And so David comes and so his brothers misdiagnose him and, and relegate him to a show off. Listen, David was packing with two testimonies that nobody knew about. He killed a lion one time with his bare hands and killed a, a bear with bare hands on another occasion. He had two personal private testimonies that when he came and confronted Goliath, he knew in his mind he had personal, intimate time with the power of God, and he saw what God was able to do with him with his bare hands. Destroyed a lion and destroyed a bear, two separate occasions. So he knew what God could do through him. So he said to Goliath, you come to me with a, a spear and a sword. I come against you in the name of the Lord. Words to do what? Pull down. Words to do what? To destroy. Words to do what? To throw down. Yeah. Yeah. Words. All right. So any cause of the father becomes a of, of our paramount objective, when that becomes our paramount objective, it qualifies as a righteous cause, all right? So Jesus had to radically cleanse the temple of these practices. He did not wait. He wasn't kind about it because of what stood behind it. And I want to deal with what stood behind it. I want you to pull a bookmark. We're going to put a bookmark right here in that part where what stood behind it. The people in the temple were importing earth-based principles for personal advantage and gain in a place established by and for God. They're doing worldly stuff inside the temple. They're bringing worldly practices inside of the temple. They did not make a difference between the holy and the profane. They blended it all into one. They made the house of God their their club, they made the word, the, the, the house of God, their, their place to do their, their, do their business. And so when Jesus saw that, he says, wait a minute, that's not what this house is for. So the conduct Jesus witnessed in the temple desecrated what his father stood for. It defiled the purpose it was designed to signify, a house of prayer, not a den of thieves a house of prayer. Let's catch the progression of what takes place. Jesus sees 
misuse of his father's house and cleanses it of its practices, it then becomes a house of purity. Once he cleans the house, it becomes a house of purity. Now, what I'd like to do, just for the sake of time, I want to parallel what Jesus did then to what he does to individuals. First, the purification. He purified the temple. He drove out all of those, those that sold doves and, and, and the money changes and overturned the seats and all those, right? Okay. And he also does that to an individual. He cleanses them. He purifies them. The next thing, what does he do? He reinstituted the purpose of his father's house and reclaimed its function back into a house of prayer. Takes it from misuse to a house of purity, which then becomes the house of prayer again. And this in parallel is what God wants to do with his people to bring the former practices maybe religious practices, maybe uh, family practices, maybe human practices into the thing where it has kept us from being the house of prayer, the consecrated temple that God has desired for us to be. Now, here was the thing that I said, I wanted to put a bookmark in. Here was the thing behind those practices. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came. Where, were, where did they come from? They were there but those practices were keeping them incarcerated. There was no opportunity for them to come forth because it wasn't a house of power. It became a house of merchandise. So people who couldn't see, people who couldn't walk, never had a say. They never had a place to come to be healed. And God does the same thing for individuals. All of us are blind to something, you all. Even if, it, even if it's the next move of God, all of us are blind to something. All of us need our legs strengthened in our walk in some form or fashion, right? And that's what the Savior comes to do to, after purifying his house, as, a, as reclaiming his house again, making it a house of prayer again, now becomes a house of power. Now we start to see needs emerging. The blind, the lame start coming out. They were right there. Nobody, nobody said, Jesus, just clean out the temple. Y'all come on and, and, and get your, get a, get a, y'all come on and get a ride to, to come on. No, they were right there, but they weren't prioritized. Those needs were not prioritized. So it was a very heartless, cold venture. Yeah, we see people around here with needs. We don't care about that. We're here to make our money. And when Jesus saw that, I'm telling you, he became very, very radical against that movement because the house or the temple was for those who were blind and lame. So they came to him in the temple and he healed them. This is what stood behind the misuse of the house. Whenever there's misuse of the house, you can best believe that the needs are pushed outside of the house because the thieves are in the house and it is no longer a house of power. All right. After the healings of the blind and the lame, making it a house of power again, it transitioned into a house of praise. Notice verse 15. 
But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children began, or the children bring out uh, of the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Who, who was? The chief priests and the scribes. Why would the chief priests and the scribes see this is a problem? <laughs> I can tell you why. Chief priests and the scribes were upset because the praise wasn't going to them. Wasn't going to man. <laughs> Jesus's influence troubled the scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because when people looked at them, they could, they could see the difference between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus. That's the thing. Nothing shows up a dirty glass like a clean one. <laughs> Nothing shows up a dirty glass like a clean glass. You set a clean glass next to it, people can take a, people can decide where they want to drink from. And that's what Jesus was, was a clean glass in the midst of a dirty system. When children, and this is, I'm close on this one. When children start to praise God early in life, it's less likely for them to succumb to religion because there isn't much opportunity to manipulate them. They learn early, early on who the praise goes to. And that's why there, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't want to see the children crying out and saying Hosanna and praising God, the son of David. Why? Because this is another generation coming up that we can't deceive. So this is what Jesus came to establish and differentiate. The expulsion of false, misguided, deceptive practices from the practices of God. And what, he, what Jesus did in the temple, he can also do to individuals, moving them from a house of impurity to a house of purity, a house of purity to a house of prayer, a house of prayer to a house of power, a house of power into a house of praise. And when he is praised and glorified, we bear much fruit. We bear much fruit. All right, I'd like to hear your thoughts or comments on on this you all uh, regarding the second half. I didn't really get into it as thoroughly as I could, but this object of being militant, you know, a lot of times people think that, well, that's not my personality. And it's really not your personality that's doing it. It is the spirit of God coming upon you and I, like, like the spirit of God came upon David to neutralize Goliath, all right? So we must be open to receive that mindset, that military militant mindset. And, the, and scripture tells us about it in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's military. That's a militia. You know, so let's look at that. And I, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts about that. And, uh, and let's see how uh, more robust we can make this conversation over the next uh, 10 minutes or so. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Anyone else? Thank you, Kevin. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm just thinking about this man, Jesus, and all that he embodies. I think um, he, he clearly represents 
um, maybe I, I could put it in this statement, that every bit of his heart, every um, thought of his mind is in step with that of the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, it says that if we so live in the spirit, and there's one of the translations that says, let us also keep in step with the spirit. What is the temple of, of God's heart? What is his mood? How does it feel about a particular matter? I think that is where the qualification begins from where we begin to carry that burden and feel the, the very things that he feels, the thoughts that he thinks and, 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 and real under the circumstances like God will reel. God will begin to um, um, pull things apart. That begins to lead to some level of qualification. I think we want to, we want to, I personally want to expose my heart to God and say, may each bit of my heart be in time with yours. May each thought that I think be in step with yours. Let me live in the spirit indeed. Because this Jesus could have walked by. Apparently, everybody was walking around this temple. It has changed from its original intent and purposes to something else. And even the chief priest didn't bother. Something that was so sacred. Something that would affect his, his trade, for lack of the, the better term. His trade as, as, as a chief priest. He never bothered about the whole place is turned into money changing center and doves flying. And by the way, I like the application also of how Jesus cleanses the temple and cleanses men. I'm sure um, they were selling snakes, they were selling doves, they were selling um, hen, fowls, whatever. And I believe much the same way in some individual lives, you have all of these creatures right there until he shows up. I want to open my life to him. Let him show up. Let him begin to turn the tables. I want to give him that permission. That is the place I find myself in this conversation. I want him to just take over, turn the tables, and let me respond and begin to praise. Let let the very hidden dimensions, let the, let, the, let the blindness that I have now come forth to him and let me be healed. Let my lameness begin to receive purpose and grandstanding in the will and, and then I, in the identity of God. Thank you so much. Those are just a few thoughts. Well, you all, you, you all see what Mark Ekbeko is in my life. That is, <laughs> I'm telling you, that is who I want to surround myself with. People who have the same ambition and heart that I'm, you know, God has used me. God has used Mark and, and he's had some tremendous experiences with God. I've had some tremendous experiences with God, but that's not enough. I want more. I want to come into more pure forms of Jesus. There, there's more for me. I want to look like him more. I want to act like him more. I want to operate in his power. I want to operate in his might. I want to please the father as he did. That's my desire. That's my desire. And if I can associate and be around people who have the same desire, 
I know I can get there. I know I can get there. I, I love, I love listening to that because you know, we don't rest on our laurels. We don't rest on the fact of certain accomplishments that we've had. There's more to gain inside of Christ. There's more to see. It's more to participate in. I, I'm really grateful. Really grateful. Thank you, Mark. Hey, Kevin, yes, Kevin, yes, let please. me just let me please. just let me just throw in let me just throw in this panel again. Um, uh, in another two things on my mind. You never know how lame you are until Jesus shows up in that temple. You'll never know how blind you are until he comes, until he arrives. I think for me, I want to pray that, Lord, arrive. Lord, come in here. Because you would have thought you had it all together and everything is fine. You would have thought that there were no children hidden in that temple. I mean, there's a marketplace. Everybody is shouting and all. How come suddenly the voice of these children became significant? I want something awakening me. That is number one. That is just one aspect of it. The second aspect is the mixture of the holy and the profane. The mixture of the holy and the prophet. When we would have gained a very long walk with God, sometimes we begin to take things with a very careless disdain, cavalier attitude, careless abandon. We treat the very precious eternal things of God. We begin to believe, somehow there's this spirit of deception that begins to speak to us we begin to believe that it's just okay to keep it going at this temple and you can add A, B, C, D and nothing will happen. And I, I, I have it all together. But when you search through our scripture, the Lord is very interested in removing the profane from the holy. Jesus said in John chapter 17, it says, for their sake, I sanctify myself, that the words that I speak to them will sanctify them. We, we, we need to arrive here and believe God that he will search through us and remove and separate the holy from the profane, the un, ungodly, the unholy mixture that we have accepted to be the norm and the status quo. In the days of Elijah, same thing happened. The Bible described them as limping between two opinions. Actually, some theologians have said, commentators of scripture have said, the people on the other hand were serving Baal. Then on the next day, they go to the temple and do the sacrifices to God. The next day, they are gone to worship Baal, limping between two opinions the mixture of the holy and the profane. May the Lord deliver us all. Thank you. Ooh. Oh, goodness. Yes, 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 yes. Separating the holy from the profane. Jesus saw the misuse of what was designated for the holy being desecrated and profane. 
and 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 this is what caused it to be a righteous a righteous cause the righteous indignation rose up in jesus because this was a misuse of what god had established and what was behind it like you said mark the children where did they where did they come from they were there but they did not have voice the blind was there no opportunity for them to see the lame was there no opportunity because the use of the temple wasn't about meeting their needs it was, it became greed it became greed personal uh, ambition oh my goodness I, i'm just oh this is so this is really something really really something i'm just really really oh boy really grateful to god for revealing these things to us because i want it i want this i want this you know when you try so many things for your life and none of it brings you sustainable joy um why not try god's way why not do it his way why not come into full obedience and compliance with what he desires that's where the few the real peace is the real joy the real the real um, rest is. And I love what Jesus says. He says, listen, come unto me, all you who labor, Matthew 11, 28, 29, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You want rest? I will give you rest. Now, this, this, then he, something very interesting, take my yoke. Yoke binds us to him. That's intimacy. It binds us to him. The intimacy. Take my yoke upon you. And this is what the yoke will do. It will teach us. He says, you'll learn of me. And you will find I am meek and lonely. You will find rest for your souls. Man, isn't that what we all want? Don't we really just at the end of it, don't we want rest? Don't we want peace? And it is our right to have. It is our right to have. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we're healed. That's where the payment of our peace was. It was upon him. So peace is our right. What did he say? My peace I give to you. Not only did I give it to you, my peace I leave with you. I'm not even taking it from you. I give it to you and I leave it with you. Now you defend it. You defend the peace. You defend your peace. All right. Well, we, we've reached our time. Um, oh, I, I tell you, I'd really like to have a word of prayer. I really would. I'd really like to pray. This word was sealed inside of our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for this, this opportunity in your word, Lord. Thank you for hearing it. Thank you for delivering it to me. Thank you for delivering it to us. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would give us illumination, give us sight, give us understanding, give us wisdom, how to appropriate this word. Lord, don't let this fall down the chain in the ranks of, uh, you know, just a good uh, message or presentation, but, but Lord, let this, this word become arsenal let it become tools let it become a resource for us to carry on going forward and movement forward 
Lord, Jesus came down here for a reason. He demonstrated something mighty in the earth. He showed us what it was like to be a complete human being, a thorough, balanced, complete human being. That's what Jesus showed us. Lord, make us that. Cause us to be that. Let us live out. I think, I think it was Mark that said, or someone that said about the whole living out the full measure of the statue, the fullness of Christ. We want to experience that. We want to live it out. And Lord, I thank you that there's no condemnation in you. In you, there's no punitive uh, feelings of we can't do it and this is too much. Lord, you give us the reason to continue to try. You give us the, 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 the desire to keep reaching, to keep going after it because there's redemption in you. There's redemption in you. There's, there's redemption in you. You proved it by sending Jesus. There's redemption in you. You are for us. You are working with us. You, you, you are patient with us. You are loving. You're kind. You, you guide us. You keep us. Father, thank you for your interest in us. Thank you for your interest in us, your interest in our lives, your, your desire for us to look like your son and our desire to want to become like your son. That's all you. That's you doing that in, with, and through us. And I want to thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you for everyone who's on the call this evening. We pray in the name of Jesus, your grace upon them, upon their families, strength upon them, wisdom upon them, your peace, your might. Lord, teach us how to disseminate this word, how to break it down and to make it applicable in our lives and tailor this word to our spirit, Lord, that we would in turn glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Amen. friends. Thank you, friends. Mark, any final words or anything? Um, it's over to you. Um, yeah, it's 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 beautiful. Uh, my apologies for the meeting starting late. I was jumping from one meeting into the other. Um, want to say God bless you, Kelvin. Um, and we'll have you continue. We, you need to exhaust this. We, we don't want to truncate um, the process. We, we don't want to be like Joseph before his father, when his father crossed his hand to bless. And Joseph quickly reached out and want to stay the flow of grace. And the word went out, not so, not so, not so. So Kelvin, God bless you, sir. We will want to have you continue next week. And hopefully next week meeting starts really in, in, in on time exactly. And then we also want to say that um, the recordings will be made available. Uh, hopefully by the close of tomorrow, you would have the recordings as well. It's beautiful. God bless you all. And the Lord favor you. We look forward to meeting again next week. Thank you.